Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and as always, it is my privilege to welcome you to the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm super excited that you have chosen to join us this week, and whether you are a first-time listener or a returning listener, I hope that you will find something that will encourage you on this journey that we call the Christian life. I'm really excited about what I have to share with you today, and it is the first part of an interview that I did with my new friend Jennifer Sung. Jennifer is a wonderful lady who struggled with addiction and gender identity, but God showed a great deal of grace in her life, and now she's living a joy-filled, God-centered life with her husband and two children. So I'm really excited for you to hear her story, but before we get to that, I would like to talk to you about what is going on. Our first story comes out of, of all states, California. The national anthem sending progressives into a tailspin after a video was posted online showing people standing for the star-spangled banner inside a California restaurant. I think it looks pretty cool. The person who posted the video, though, added a caption that says, quote, the most dangerous situation I've ever been in, along with other users commenting, this feels like a horror movie. That's terrifying and my worst nightmare. Today's show is full of these unbelievable oh, things. Janine Paulino is the owner of Rainbow Oaks Restaurant, seen in the video, and she joins us now. Janine, thanks for being here. What do you make of that reaction to your very simple, very beautiful show of patriotism? Well, thank you. Um, you know, I just feel like we take a few minutes out of our day to be grateful for the men and women who have made the sacrifices so that we can stand up and and say how we feel. And she said how she felt, and I wish she realized that it's because of those men and women that made those sacrifices that she's able to do that without any kind of fear at all. So Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean... I looking at the video of your restaurant i love it i'm from the from missouri and it looks like any middle of america restaurant bar uh, just patriotism everywhere but don't you think that comments like this just signify really how privileged people in america are but not only that but how ungrateful they are for the sacrifice of those people who who have given their lives for us yeah, it, it really is ungrateful, and, and that's why we do it every day at noon. We want to remind everyone we need to be grateful to those people, and, and grateful God gave us a nation that we can say how we feel. So, yeah, yeah, it is It is pretty pretty ungrateful. Since you, you got this backlash, I hate to call it backlash, but it's a no. few people on TikTok, but do you question, like, why these people have such a reaction? Like, what has gone so wrong in their life, in the good old U.S. of A., that would lead them to have a reaction like that? Well, I think that maybe they... They aren't focusing on gratitude. You know, they just want attention. Um, I think that they saw th this particular TikToker had seen a local news post 
And so she probably did it for attention. She came out expressly to raise a ruckus about something. So, you know, she doesn't have her attitude focused on the gratitude. I think you're exactly right. A lot of this is just attention grabbing. And there's, I mean, there was nothing negative about that. And there's nothing negative about what you're doing every day. You've been doing this for six years in the state of California. That took some guts to do that in the state of California. Is there any chance at all with this uh, TikTok backlash, if you will, that it'll make you stop doing this every day? No chance at all. The owners before me started it, and I come from a long line of patriots, so I was thrilled to keep the tradition going. And no, we won't be stopping. Here's some irony that I love about this story. The phrase, most dangerous situation (laughs) I've ever been in. You know, you mentioned you come from a long line of patriots, a long line of veterans. I wonder what the veterans you are honoring who have actually been in actual dangerous situations. Think about a statement like that from a TikToker. A couple things. First of all, we have failed a large segment of our youth. This generation that is coming up is sadly not aware of the great sacrifices that were made so that they can have the freedom to believe and say whatever they want. I was actually just recently watching an episode of Boy Meets World and Mr. Feeney was teaching a European history class in high school to Eric, the older brother character. And to Eric, history is just a jumble of dates and it already happened, so why does it matter? And he makes this statement that he wants to go to the beaches of Europe to hang out, to meet girls, to spend time with them. And Mr. Feeney says, yes, to you, it's just a beach in Europe. But on June 6th, I believe, in 1944, it became a key day and a key place in the turning of World War II and the liberation of Europe. And he talked to Eric about how significant historical events like this are. And it was amazing to me to be watching a sitcom from the 90s and have that come forth. I don't think very many, if any, sitcoms would take that approach today, but I really appreciated that. And I feel like we need to get back to a place where we are explaining the significance of things like the National Anthem. Francis Scott Key was watching a fort during a time of war, and when he saw the flag still flying, he knew that America was still a nation, and he penned this national anthem because of the emotions and the feelings that he had at that time. And so many people think of it as just a song, or have not taken the time to understand its significance. And the result of that is a society where everyone hates everyone, everyone's offended about everything, and we're not learning anything from one another. So I just want to present this as a story of hope, but also a warning 
to think about what it means to be in a society where someone says the most dangerous situation they've ever been in is in a restaurant full of people standing for the national anthem out of respect. The next thing I want to talk about very briefly before we get into our main segment is in the next couple of weeks, the new Little Mermaid film will come out from Disney. And people have been talking about it for probably two and a half years, which has led me to get confused on multiple occasions about when the actual release date is. And I've seen people circulating the hashtag not my Ariel uh, because some people are frustrated that the choice was made to cast a black woman as Ariel. And then I've seen other people say, if you post not my Ariel, we can't be friends. Now, first of all, let us all understand that this is a fictional character and a movie by Disney. So it has no great eternal importance. The second thing I would like to mention, though, is that some of the same people that are saying it's totally okay for a black woman to play Ariel are now saying that the recent casting of a native Hawaiian who isn't dark enough to play the live-action Lilo is offensive. They say, well, a black person can play the Little Mermaid, but you need to find someone who is darker, even though this person that they cast is a native Hawaiian. You need to find someone who is darker to actually play the role. And I have this to say, and that is, when possible, casting someone who is as close to the original character is a good thing. I don't dispute that at all. But I do think it's funny that we always have these discussions when the whole point of being in a movie is playing someone that you're not. Being someone make-believe. So that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I will say is I know nothing about this lady who is playing Ariel. I have heard her sing, and I think she's a beautiful singer. And my perspective is this. If 200 people tried out for Ariel, and she was indeed the best one, she should get the role, regardless of her skin color. But I do feel like it seems like there is at least a degree of virtue signaling in this casting. Particularly because, despite the fact that the new Little Mermaid is black, they retained her red hair. I think it would have been better if they had just kept her with black hair, much as they did Brandy in the 1997 Cinderella, which was... I believe, an excellent film, and I really enjoyed it. And I thought that she and Paula Montalban made a great couple in that movie. So all this to say, I think it's 
possible to understand both sides. And it is possible for this to be a good movie. But I also know that there's been a lot of things that the left has encouraged and that have been done simply for the sake of being politically correct, but in the end, they don't turn out that well. And so I think we need to be reasonable in all things, and we need to be aware that there are agendas out there that are against families and that are against America, and we need to shine in opposition to these things. We also need to realize that the devil masquerades as an angel of light and he can make things seem good when in fact they are not. I'm super excited to let you hear the first part of this wonderful interview that I did with my friend Jennifer. But before I do that, I want to share with you our quote of the day. And I chose for the quote of the day today a verse that I think typifies what it means to have God make a change in your life. Because one of the themes that's going to come forth in this interview is that God can take us where we are. He takes us in the mess. He embraces us despite how messy we are. But then he doesn't leave us there. He changes us from the inside out. And the verse that I picked for today is 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And this is a familiar verse, but I think sometimes familiarity breeds apathy, and there's a lot of meaning in this verse for us. It says that if we are in Christ, old things are passed away, and all things are become new. It doesn't say they might become new. It doesn't say they will become new. It says they are new which means the minute you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the newness begins. Yes, Christianity is a lifelong process of sanctification, of becoming more and more conformed to Jesus Christ as God's Son. But the reality is that as soon as you place your faith and trust in Jesus, You are justified freely for the rest of your life and on into eternity. So my prayer for you today is that if you have been saved, that you will embrace the justification that you have in Christ, that you will realize that his sacrifice was full and complete, and that you will rest in that liberty and that promise. And that if you have not yet come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not yet been passed from death to life, that today would be that day. Now, without further ado, I present to you the first part of my interview with Jennifer Sung. 
I am very privileged to welcome a new friend, Jennifer Sung, to the podcast. Jennifer and I, ironically enough, met in the comments section of a Facebook post dealing with issues related to gender identity. I don't remember the exact comments that were made. I just know that she testified in brief to God delivering her from a dangerous alternative lifestyle. And I saw her comment and asked if she'd be willing to share with my audience at the Speaking for Him podcast. So first of all, welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. I'm honored. I'm super excited to hear you share your story. And I'm just going to let you unfold that for us. And I want to start out with a question or really a request, and that is just to tell me a little bit about your growing up years. I sure will. Um, My childhood was a a very painful childhood. Um, My parents, um, it was a very dysfunctional situation. My parents had had rough childhoods of their own, and so they came to the marriage, and for lack of a better term, they were a mess. And, you know, but God delivers messes. Um, But anyway, that impacted our childhood. My parents were divorced before I was even eight years old. And my dad did get custody of us and he went to live with his mother and his sister to just kind of help raise us. Unfortunately, it was not a loving environment. Um, it was actually very toxic. And you would expect a family to be loving, to love on their children. And that just wasn't the situation. Um, in our family, typically to the world, some of uh, my family members have looked to be really good, outstanding citizens, kind and generous people, but yet they'll destroy their own family with sarcasm and cruelty and just remarks that tear them down. And that's the situation that happened with us. I wasn't told that I was a loved. I wasn't hugged. I wasn't cared for. And um, to make matters worse, I went to school and I was bullied severely. I was one of the children that was an introvert. It was a quiet um, kind of person. And, you know, the Lord says that we're supposed to come as children to enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? That means that most children are loving and they're kind. They wouldn't hurt anyone. And and I love that because I always said I wanted to have a heart like David when I became a Christian. And and I believe that that is my heart. It's, a, it's after God's own heart. And God is such a good, loving father. And that was my heart. I was never a mean person. Even the meanest child um, that treated me terribly in school, I didn't want to hurt them. And when they would pick fights with me and start fights, and I mean, literal fist fights, I remember I would cry. Um, I would have to defend myself and I'd cry because I didn't want to hit them back. I didn't want to retaliate, but I had to protect myself. So everything happened to me. And it wasn't just something that happened occasionally. It was every day I was picked on as a child. And, you know, when you have big bullies, other people who may not have been bully, they go ahead and support that bully or they will be bullied themselves. So it was really a lot of people after me at once. I was called names. I My head was banged up against windows and school buses. I had gum put in my hair. I was constantly picked on and it was just a terrible childhood. And so you would think that at least I would go home to having a, a loving environment or somebody to protect me and look after me. And it just wasn't that way. I lived in a home environment that was toxic. 
toxic. I went to school that was toxic. And um, I was just a very lonely little girl. And unfortunately, um, that meant that I had to leave living with my younger brother and sister. I was old enough at 10 and 11 to choose where I wanted to live. And my younger brother and sister remained in the home where I went to live with my mother. So we were raised separately. And um, which is kind of sad because then my sister was left in that environment. But I couldn't protect myself at 10 years old. How could I protect my little sister who was, you know, six or seven years old at that time? Um, so anyway, I went to live with my mother. Um, and really the only thing that I wanted was love. My mother, she, um, you know, at that point was a single mom. She worked a lot. So it was kind of one of those latchkey kids. I would, you know, go to school, come home by myself. And I just wanted love. I wanted love from where I never got it from my dad, from my aunt, my grandmother, from just anybody. And I found what I thought was love in the arms of my teacher, um, believe it or not. Um, he was inappropriate. I was 14, 15 years old. And he was a 36-year-old man who was married. He knew better. Um, and so he preyed upon that. And, you know, I just, I just wanted someone to care for me. And so he had all these visions of grandeur, of going to England together, of me eventually becoming his wife and all of these things. And I believe that, right? So that's pretty much the list of my transgressions, if you will. I wasn't uh, a naughty child. I had not been promiscuous. I'd never tried drugs or anything of that nature. But um, when the gentleman had called my mom to see if, you know, we could get together and tried to lie to her and deceive her, my mom caught on right away. She knew that he was not a good person and she shut him down, and which was a good thing. And then I was removed from school for my safety. However, I was unfortunately punished. My mom sent me to a boarding school um, at the recommendation of a pastor, um, said, you know, this is a great school for girls um, and it's supposed to be for troubled teens. I wasn't a troubled teen. I was a teen who needed love. That was just it. I just wanted to be loved. And this home was a very legalistic Christian home. I say Christian um, loosely because it wasn't Christian. To be a Christian means that you show fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, which is love and peace and joy and gentleness and self-control. You know, you're kind to other people. You're not mean to other people. This particular home, which has now been permanently um, discontinued, they are they are no longer in service, praise the Lord, no longer able to harm little children anymore. Um, but this home wasn't, you know, for a while, a long time, harming children. And it was, they were very legalistic where women were not allowed to wear pants. Uh, we weren't even allowed to communicate to our own parents without having somebody on the phone listening to every word that we said, because obviously we couldn't tell them, mom, dad, we're being abused. Please come and help us. Um, or we would be taken upstairs and beaten. And when I say beaten, I mean, they would put you down on your stomach with your arms stretched out chairs over your head and arms, chairs over your legs, and beach, beat the life out of you pretty much. I mean, it was the worst beating I could ever explain to you. But through various types of abuse, a hardship, uh, unkindness, and um, so much more um, involved. I won't get too much involved in that because I want to tell you the, the good part, the good part of what God has done. So, But this is just a part of, of my background, and including being violated. And so pretty much as a child, I was hurt. I was abused and nobody protected me. So um, th eventually, the fortunately, I guess, the school was closed temporarily due to being um, invested for 
investigated for child abuse. And so I was able to go home to my mom. And um, my mom at that time had remarried and she put me into school, but she kind of clung a little bit to those legalistic behaviors, you know, women and not to wear pants, uh, no movies, no secular music. Secular music is any music that is not um, Christian specific. Um, and so I grew up with that. And, you know, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't hang out with friends. I couldn't go to the mall. Um, and so my first date was when I was 19 years old and, uh, still virgin, um, you know, still hadn't tried drugs, still, you know, pretty, you know, pretty good girl if, if, if I do say so. Um, but then I started dating this man that my mother had recommended. It's supposed to be a really good Christian man. Um, but he was Christian in his cherry picking of the Bible. So, you know, I was, I was very controlled by him told me what to wear, what to do, say obey in the wedding vows if he were to ask me to marry him. But at the same time, he was okay with being promiscuous or fornicating prior to marriage. And so that's that's what took place. And, you know, I was really tired of the disrespect. I was tired of the control. And so that's when I started to spiral, if you will, and dating multiple men, um, going from one to the other. And after I just continually kept getting hurt, um, I finally just decided to embrace a new persona. And that persona was to eliminate as much of my femininity as possible. Because to me, at that time, being feminine was a disservice to me. It was a weakness, which is really sad because God made us the way we are. And it's so beautiful to be feminine that I see now. Um, but I started to, you know, not wear makeup and um, tried to embrace more of a masculine energy. And um, I began dating women. Um many women for a period of 12 to 14 years. And in fact, I even moved to Canada and I was legally married um, according to their rules. Um, but as we know that marriage is between a man and a woman, that's the way God ordained it. But I didn't want to listen to that. I didn't want to believe that that's what God wanted. Um, I didn't really care what God had to think. And I almost shudder to say that because um, how could anybody be so disrespectful of the Lord? But I was just so hurt. And I remember a friend of mine telling me in August of 2010, she says, why won't you give God another chance? And with tears in my eyes, I looked at her and I said, I can't, I can't. Because if God was who these people were in that home that I lived in, that was eventually, you know, shut down due to their abuse, if God was happy with people like that, I didn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't live for God like that. And I'm so thankful to tell you that that, that is not who my Lord is. And three months later, I was in Nova Scotia on holiday with my present spouse, again, who was a female. And I was sitting in the fireplace. And as I was sitting there, all of a sudden, and I've got goosebumps as I'm telling the story because it's so tremendous. Every person's testimony coming to Christ is going to be unique. Mine is very unique. And I'm so thankful to God for what he did for me because I would not listen to music. I would not listen to a sermon. I was so averse to listening to anything about the Lord. You couldn't talk to me about God. I was so determined to live the way that I was going to live out of protecting myself. And so here I am sitting in front of the fireplace. And all of a sudden, the spirit of God, not audibly, but in my heart says, I love you. And I took a deep breath in. I went, oh, I was just so overwhelmed. And I went outside and I put my arms up and I said, 
because I knew that was the Lord. And I said, I don't know how to change myself, but my life is yours if you want it. And I meant every word of it. And that doesn't mean that God is going to change you overnight because you don't have to come to the Lord being perfect. You come to the Lord just as you are, the mess that you are, the mess that you can never change in yourself. You go to him because he will do it supernaturally. When you humble yourself before him and you believe him and you trust him and you you love him and you know that he loves you, he's going to help walk you through it. And so what God did then is he taught me truth, not only about the lies that I spoke, the the you know, truth about what I said, but, but God gave me truth and who I was. And I wasn't a lesbian, but right away he cleaned the, you know, he did start changing me. He started cleaning me up. The first thing that he cleaned up was about the, tr- the, the truth and what I said. The second thing he, he cleaned up was my potty mouth. I had a terrible, disrespectful mouth to the Lord. I took his name in vain. I was just disgustingly disrespectful to the Lord. And he cleaned that up immediately. And I was on fire. I just was like, oh, my goodness, I, I think I'm a Christian. I was just excited. And I remember just, just reveling in that joy. And then the next day, God didn't allow this pain to hit me and to crush me. But he allowed me to feel the weight of my sin and he started to work with me. And so little by little, things started to change. I wish I could tell you that automatically I stopped being gay and I went ahead and left the lifestyle because I didn't. I didn't right away. In fact, I wanted to start going to church again, which was exciting to me. And I chose a church that would accept people of my lifestyle. And then... Um, a few months later, there was a neighbor of mine and he suggested I attend a church. And when I walked into that church, the people that surrounded me, somebody who like me, again, an introvert doesn't want to get close to people. People hurt me. All of a sudden I am just at the altar on my knees, bawling my eyes out, being completely myself in front of people and people loving me and showing me truth. But of course the Holy Spirit had already told me that. Um, but it took a little bit of time and I love that God is so good to us and so patient with us. And that's what he was with me. So, um, a few months later, I would say I, it was around March, April of 2012. I left that lifestyle and I have not returned, um, praise the Lord. So I left out of Canada because I was not a legal citizen and uh, I came back to America to, you know, get a job and, um, really begin my life in Christ. And I ended up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, where I began going to church there. And what I wanted to do is I really wanted to allow God to change me completely because along with the homosexuality, I also had other issues of porn addiction and, you know, um, I had tampered with some, uh, some drugs and, um, and then I realized like at that time prior to Christ that, you know, maybe I was bisexual and maybe I could play with, with both worlds. And the fact is I just kind of took a, no- a nosedive. Um, so when I was really wanting to live for the Lord, I wanted to live a celibate life. I really wanted to give God 
all of myself and and allow him to change that in me. And he did. And it was almost like a person who has trouble with um, alcoholism. They take, you know, one chip, one chip for one month at a time. And I know that probably sounds silly to some people, but it wasn't silly to me. I had an actual problem. So for one month, two months, six months, a year, a year and a half, I was very proud of myself for living a celibate life and, and just trying to work on my relationship with the Lord. And I wish that I could tell you that I didn't make any mistakes going forward. Um, but that's, that's not the case. So I met my husband in, um, I hope it's okay. I, I think I'm missing your questions in here in between. I just, uh, can tell you, continue to tell you what's happened. Um, but so my husband, I met my husband in the choir and, um, we, I was actually not interested in him, um, at all. He was just a really nice man and he sang in the church. We had absolutely nothing in common, different cultures, everything. I mean, everything. You really couldn't meet a person who was more, more different. Um, but the thing that stood out to me about John was that he, um, well, he loved the Lord, number one. And number two, he's a very kind person. And he spoke to my love language. We all have a love language. And my love language was to be helped, the acts of service. Um, I struggle with anxiety and depression and getting things done. And my brain's just all a mess once in a while. And I have also have attention deficits sometimes. So um, actually all the time. But um so he helped me, you know, he said, you know, can I help you when you're moving? Um, can I, can I come over there? I'll, I'll clean your bathtub. I'll, I'll clean, you know, he did little things like that for me, you know, can, can we go out to dinner? And I'm like, oh, just friends. And, um, you know, I, I wish that I could tell you that, that I, you know, I had stayed faithful to the Lord because it's an embarrassment for me to say to you that, you know, I messed up. But that's the thing, you know, um, in Proverbs, it says the righteous fall many times, but, but they'll rise again. And I know that my testimony is out there because I can help other people and say, you know, you don't have to be perfect. And when we make mistakes, we can go to God and say, we're genuinely sorry. And the Lord is so good that he forgives you. And he doesn't hold these things over your head. You know, he genuinely forgives you. Doesn't mean we're free from our consequences of our choices, but he does forgive us. And so what ended up happening is that John ended up becoming, um, you know, you know, we, we messed up and, um, I ended up pregnant. Um, and so after that, I still thought we are not meant to be. We are not meant to be. And so here I am, um, pretty much a new Christian woman, pregnant, didn't know what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go and, uh, left him. And I went back to my working and I worked up until my third trimester and I was living with my, with my parents. And then uh, I hadn't seen John for eight months. And then what happened was um, God put on my heart that I owed him an apology. So I picked up the phone after I had had our son and I apologized to him and we just continued to talk on the phone. Now, again, this is very interesting because most marriages begin with two people falling in love. And then sometimes we see the deterioration of a marriage where they fall out of love. And this relationship is a testimony for Jesus Christ because we didn't start well, but we're going to end well. And and I love God. I love God for that. So we uh, we ended up getting married. Uh, he asked me to marry him. And I thought, well, you know, he's the father of my child, you know, uh, why not? So we moved in um, together. We, we got married. Excuse me. We got married first. We had been separate for eight months and we did it right that time finally. Um, and we got married. And uh, but that, that didn't mean that there wasn't a lot of trouble 
and a lot of problems that we had. We had a lot of problems because we were very, very different people. Um, so, um, you know, and then on top of his job and the transitions and the movings, then we had a son that had autism and he was diagnosed um, before the age of two. My son was so severely autistic that he would bang his head up against high chairs, bang his head up against um, his car seat, throw himself on the floor anywhere we went. It didn't matter where we went. People would hear us because of his high screams. He couldn't communicate. He wasn't able to, he wasn't verbal. He wasn't able to even say my name until he was over three years old. So we had him diagnosed. We had him in the hospital. We knew something was wrong. Um, very young age. So on top of the struggles that John and I had as partners who had nothing in common. Now we have a, a, a severely autistic child. So there's a lot, a lot of tension, a lot of, a lot of tears, a lot of buildup. Um, but God was with us, you know, that's what it says in the Bible, you know, but the Lord was with Abraham, but the Lord was with Jennifer and John too. And, um, so my son, he was diagnosed and we started him off with therapies right away. And, um, but then along with, with doing all of that, my husband would change jobs because he's, you know, he's not the kind of person that just settles for, for me, I'm just like, just settle for stability, buddy, you know, but for my husband, it's like, you know, if he's not happy in his job, he's not going to remain in that job. He's going to just keep challenging himself and he's do better. He's very gifted. He's a very intelligent man. And so he would just, you know, get a better job, do a better job, make more money. And, um, he was, he's an excellent provider for our family. So to make a long story short about that, we, you know, in the course of our marriage, we've been married eight years as of, um, last month, we've moved five times in that, in that duration. We actually lived in three apartments, um, rented one house and we, excuse me, I think we rented two apartments rented one house, we bought and sold one condo, and now we have finally settled, Lord willing, <laughs> for the last few years here in Maryland, um, John bought us a home here, so I'm so thankful that we're here. But so you can imagine, if you have a child who has special needs, um, then you have a lot of things that you have to work out, um, marrying somebody so different from you. Um, it was it was a lot, a lot of tears, a lot of hardship through the years, and um and then I had a miscarriage um, slightly after Jonathan was diagnosed. Um, and so that was that was difficult, too. And then trying to move and do everything while he's working. So we had a lot going on. And then I did get pregnant again um, with my daughter, which is a blessing. But I had one child, again, who had special needs. And then I had a child who had jaundice and a breathing problem where she had to wear uh, pulse oximeter on her on her feet to make sure that she was breathing well. So there's just a lot of stuff going on. Um, I even got pneumonia. You you name it, it happened. It just seemed like there was just one thing hitting hitting us, going down, going down, going down, going down. So um, I hope I'm not talking too much, but um, that was just pretty much the gist of of the things that we went through in our earlier years. It's 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 been a lot to go through. Well, that is a lot, but I really appreciate just being able to sit back and, and listen to your story. I did want to double back because you mentioned how you had a friend while you yeah. were still uh, fighting God who said, why don't you give God another chance? So I just yes. wanted to ask you briefly, can you talk a little bit about the people that came into your life 
maybe during that time when you were fighting against God and how they were used to point you toward God? Well, believe it or not, and that's what makes my story so special. She was the only person that had actually asked me, and that was three months. That was in August of 2010. Um, she said, won't you give God another chance? And and she asked me that because, you know, it's just so I was so shut off to that. So there really wasn't anybody else from that point forward. I think that's what makes my story so unique. Um, we definitely want to get out in the world and we want to spread the gospel and we want people to come into the churches and we want to go minister. In my situation, I would say there really wasn't anybody to um, to talk to me about anything. I was a loner. I was isolating um, with the person that I was married to at the time. And, you know, that's just the way that I lived. I would work a few months, take some time off. And I just really was a hermit. I like to hide from society, hide from people because people hurt me. And um, so, yeah, at that time, it was just completely the Holy Spirit who who loved on me and um, gave me life. Did you see this person who asked you that question as a faithful Christian? Um, no, not, not really. Not really. I think that she just had a, you know, a basic belief in God. She's a very nice person. She was living in Texas. I was living in Texas on one of my, my job assignments. And um, yeah. She just had asked me that because she knew my story about what had happened to me as a child and specifically that that home that I had lived in that has harmed hundreds and hundreds of girls. We are a survivor group. And um, when the survivor group got together in 2010, I was not a Christian then, which is interesting because they saw the way that I lived. They heard the way that I spoke and for them to have seen that to seeing who I am today and what the Lord has done and continues to do to transform my life. It's amazing. (laughs) God is amazing. He's amazing. I think there's two things then that I just want to point out from what you just said. Number one is that God will draw those to himself that he intends to draw to himself. We don't like to think about, that we like to think that it's a hundred percent free will, but the Bible says that no one seeks after God. And so the only way, as Jesus said, for us to come to God is if we're drawn to Jesus by the Father. That's what Jesus said about how we come to God. And so, first of all, I want to point out that God really worked in your life despite the fact that you didn't have a lot of people in your life pointing you towards God. The next thing I want to point out is that sometimes even little things can go a long way because just that person asking you that question, even though it was a small part and maybe in your mind relatively insignificant, it still had significance because you brought it up as you were sharing your testimony that they just asked you that simple question, why don't you give God another chance? So all this to say to my audience is that even the simple interactions that we have with others can help gently point them to the one that can give them hope, and that's Jesus. Many thanks to Jennifer Sung for sitting down with me and sharing her story. I was really encouraged by it. I hope that you were as well, and that if you were, you will give me some feedback with the contact information that's about to roll at the end of the show. I'm just so thrilled with 
what God has done in Jennifer's life. And we're going to talk more about how God has given her courage to pursue some exciting adventures, including homeschooling and singing at her church. So I'm excited to dig into that more next week. But until then, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.